Uh, good morning and welcome to Grace Community Church. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder and first order of business, we have a very special uh, prayer request. Uh, Rick Wells, Dexter Wells' brother, is not doing well at all. He is on the brink of eternity, it appears. He's made a profession of faith in Christ. Is very clear. He's a believer, but these are difficult times. We want to take just a moment and uh, pray for Rick and his family. Father, um, we are so grateful that we, we come to you even at the end of life. We know that in Christ, this is only the beginning. And that, Lord, indeed, it's not that we pass from life unto death. We pass from death unto life. And we pray for Rick in these days, Lord, we, we still hold out hope and we pray for a miracle. The medications would turn his condition, uh, Lord, from extremely serious to extremely good. We know that one day every one of us will be in your presence. And so our heart today Lord, for Rick and his family, for all the family, that your grace would rain down. That you would cover them with your grace like a blanket. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus, a hope that we're talking about today. Thank you that someone shared the gospel and Rick said, yes, I believe. We pray for Dexter and Kathy, uh, Lord our loved ones in our family, we pray that we might just wrap them up with love and care and compassion as they do the same for the rest of their family. So, Lord, uh, we are grateful to be in your hands. We pray that you would bring a peace that passes understanding that makes no sense and grace, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is our third week in the new Sunday morning series, Engage the World with the Gospel. This focus, uh, this fall, our focus is on the responsibility and privilege it is for every believer to share the life-giving message that Jesus saves to the world. And that begins, of course, in our own circles of influence. How are we taking this news of the gospel to those in our influence? So thankful all of us are that we heard the gospel because somebody cared enough to share that good news with us. Evangelism is scary and it's thrilling all at the same time because we recognize... We, when we share the gospel, we're doing the work of advancing the kingdom with nothing less than eternity at stake. Now, it's God who advances the kingdom, but we get to be a part of that. And there's nothing less than eternity at stake. That sounds a little dramatic, doesn't it? I mean, when you say, hey, what I'm going to tell you right now, eternity is at stake. It probably really sounds dramatic when you say, hey, how you react to bad stuff that comes into your life or how you react when someone puts you down, 
Eternity is at stake in how you react, how you respond to that. Eternity is at stake in really in everything we do. Do you believe it or not? Do you believe the gospel or not? Apparently, a lot don't. I'm going to refer to my phone here in a few minutes and give you some statistics probably toward the end of, of the message about what people who call themselves evangelicals actually believe. Those of us who are, are, are tied to the gospel, or at least we say we're tied to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that salvation is in Christ alone. Uh, somehow, I, I've talked about my teenage years over the last two weeks. I meant to do that two weeks ago. Not last week, not so much. But may, maybe it's a concentrated thought about evangelism that just reminds me of those those early, heady days when I was so in love with Jesus and he had brought such light and color into my life. Uh, many of those around me wanted me to get saved. They, they just didn't want me to get that saved. You know, <laughs> tone it down, Brad. Look, I, I'm, I'm glad you're religious and everything. I'm glad you've made some changes in your life, but, but try not to be so extreme. I mean, look, did you have to get your hair cut that short? I wanted that old long hippie hair going, but I didn't want it to be that short. What do you mean I'm heading for hell? Don't say that. I've been baptized. Here's one of the things that I didn't understand in those early days. Sharing the gospel is often best accomplished in bits and pieces and doesn't always have to be in your face. Look, sometimes it... it it's call for that doesn't mean angry. It just means we have to be very direct with people, but not always. Here's one thing I did understand in those early days. Nothing less than eternity is at stake in people's understanding of what God says in His Word about salvation and about eternity. I, I'm certain that one of the reasons that the Lord is leading us to consider evangelism is to stoke the fire, to, to fan the flames of the fire in our hearts, to share the gospel with the world. Now, when I say He's leading us into this, this, um, this series, I, I don't mean it with the royal we, you know, as in, well, if you would please pray for us while we preach on evangelism. I, what I mean is that many of you are feeling the exact same impulse for outreach that I am. And it was some of your comments that, that lit that fire in my heart and in, in the elders' heart as they affirmed this direction to go in thinking about outreach. The Holy Spirit brought it all together and here we are. I, I have all ideas that will not be through with this series on engaging the world with the gospel by the Advent season. I think that by at the first of the year, we'll be right back into this series where the new year uh, begins. It, there is so much to say about sharing the gospel, but I want you to be patient. Look, some of you appreciate structure. Some of you need structure. Some of you require structure in your life. You make lists about making lists. Some of you are that way. <clears throat> I need to make, make a list next week and then make a list at Thanksgiving. You know, you, structure is important. In the New Testament, evangelism flows out of a life that is fully committed to Jesus. And, and evangelism, outreach tends to be 
organic. It's it, it sort of in the middle of a context of, of a greater truth that is being said there. <clears throat> so in other words, Jesus should be so much a part of your life that it is just natural for you to share portions of the gospel wherever you have opportunity or people will want to know about. What is it about you that is so different? So you, it's not like you have to be every day saying, I've got to do this, 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 and this. Colossians 4 will come to make the most of every opportunity. Look, there's no better place to see that than if you, if you travel some than on a plane. Sometimes the person sitting next to you the conversation just naturally flows toward the Lord. Sometimes they put their ear, earbuds in and that's it. You don't, there's nothing to say. And if you try to, you'll do more damage than good. So evangelism has to flow out of the opportunities that the Lord gives us. And believe you me, He gives us a great number of opportunities if we're looking. So... Evangelism is rather organic in the scripture. That's the way this series will roll as well. The more you know about the gospel, the more compelled you will be to share Jesus with others. One of the best ways to get the most out of this series or any series that we follow on Sunday mornings is to attend a home group where their sermon is further dissected and uh, advanced, and sometimes considerably so. For each series, the home group leaders are reading a particular book that enhances the, their study of a particular book of the Bible that we're following or the topic. Uh, in this case, the home group leaders are reading a little book called Evangelism by Max Stiles. It's a jewel of a little book. It would be wonderful for a lot of you to just go on Amazon right now. You're, you're allowed to go on Amazon and download this book or, or order this book, you will appreciate it. In one chapter, uh, Styles lists 10 marks of a church that has a culture of evangelism. And that's what we desire to have here, a culture of evangelism. And so uh, we're going to be thinking, each week we're going to be thinking about one of these 10 marks of a church with a culture of evangelism and, and hoping to cultivate that in our own church as well. And the goal is... Of course, that long after we have finished this series on evangelism, outreach will be on the front burners here at Grace. All the time we'll be thinking about sharing the gospel and being intentional about sharing the gospel. I won't necessarily mention the focus each week during the sermon. Sometimes it'll kind of connect and sometimes it won't. But one focus is going to be covered at home group each week. This week, we're going to be discussing a church culture that is motivated by love for Jesus and for His gospel. Love for His gospel. And that's some of what we'll be doing along this uh, series as we start today talking about our need for Christ. Um, so a love for Jesus and his gospel, that's all I'm going to say about it uh, this morning. Th these next four sessions that I lead, I'm going to be talking about the division between those who believe the gospel and those who don't believe the gospel. Today, two families. Then, two paths. Look, if you think that America is divided, you are right. In fact, if you just arrived from another planet and you landed here in America, you would say... Okay, I think I get it. People are divided into two groups, Republicans and Democrats. Probably some of you would have preferred that I say Democrats and Republicans. You know, it's just the, 
I, I get it. But look, the division that Scripture indicates lies between all people who have ever lived is far more significant than any political divisions between us. It's not the most significant division in America, much less in the world. So this morning, two families on the work, on the, in the world. You may think there's a racial divide, and there is a racial divide amongst us. But it's nothing like the divide between two families that make up people, all people who have ever lived. You're in one family or another. You don't get the choice to abstain. You don't get, get to go to the court and change your name and, and say that never happened. It never, I never was a, a member of that family. You are in one family or another. Next week we'll talk about two paths that people take in life that ultimately determine their eternal destination. Everybody's going down one path or another. One path leads to a gate that is broad and leads to destruction. The other is much more narrow and it leads to life. That's what scripture tells us. Two weeks from today is going to be our mission fair. And in addition to hearing our own Joe Hunziker uh, preach on Sunday morning, we we'll have several of our partners, worldwide ministry, missionary partners around the world, partners in the gospel, who will be here either <clears throat> Sunday morning, Sunday night, or both. So you just don't want to miss that two weeks from today. The last two weeks of October, and who knows, maybe even longer, we'll consider the implications of the, the two kingdoms. Two kingdoms the, the kingdoms that are far greater in, uh, uh, in scope and influence than the power influence of all the governments of the world combined. <clears throat> Look, there are really ultimately only two kingdoms vying for control in our world. The implications are staggering, not only for our world, but for our church and for each individual member represented in our body. This morning, we're going to be talking about two families. And wouldn't you know that we just happened to land in one of the most complex texts of Scripture. In all of Scripture, Romans 5, 12 through 21. You may think, oh, how tough can it be? Why don't we just read it in, in, in just a moment? Obviously, we're not going to take time to explore everything that is here for, for a number of reasons. <clears throat> it's kind of like going to the Great Barrier Reef in Australia where just... Below the boat, there are about 20 million things that can kill you dead in a, in a heartbeat, you know, and a very painful death of that. But, but if you go to the Great Barrier Reef in Australia and you're on a glass-bottom boat, you're not going to get close to what's down there. But you might get a glimpse of Nemo and just realize, hey, this is really quite some special place. That's kind of what it's going to be like today in Romans 5 verses. 12 to 21. Even a brief encounter with this text will help us understand what the big deal is <coughs> about Jesus and why it is so important to be in his family rather than Adam's family. Let's read the text. If you would, please stand as is our custom for the reading of Scripture. Therefore, so that automatically tells you we don't, we don't have any idea unless we know. We have some idea, but it's all connected. Romans, more than any book of the Bible. Well, Hebrews was very much the same, but it's just 
idea on top of idea, argument on top of argument. And by the end, it's like, wow. If you pick it up in the middle, there's a lot there, but the whole is important. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin, all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. And yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if... Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now deacons will be passing out ibuprofen... Tylenol, whatever you're... Make your head want to explode, right? We're going to make some headway into understanding what is being said and why it is so important that it's being said. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you so much for um, the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And as we begin to try to understand why that grace is not only a good thing, it is an absolute necessary thing. It must be evident in our lives if we are to have any hope of eternity. Lord, please open our hearts and minds and eyes and just help us to see. Help us to understand. And understand why it's so important. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. This past week, um, Neil Manning sent around um, some findings about the state of theology in our nation. Um, What people believe, R.C. Sproul, I believe, uh, did this survey. And uh, here are just a couple of statements Uh, And then people were supposed to agree somewhat strongly, disagree, whatever. State number number six. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. So in other words, we all worship the same God. Finding 46% of self-identified evangelicals agree 
or somewhat agree with this statement. That it doesn't matter what your religion is. It just matters that you're worshiping God. You worship God in your way. I'll worship God in my way. Here's statement number 18. By the good deeds that I do, I partly contribute to my earning or to earning my place in heaven. Self-identified evangelicals, 36% of self-identified evangelicals agree or somewhat agree with this statement. So, 46%, I believe it was, said, yeah, as long as you're worshiping God, it doesn't matter if, you know, you're worshiping Him through Buddha, through one of the Hindu gods, through... Just, look, we all worship God in different ways. Um, and then 36% say, my good works partly contribute to my being in heaven. Now, that's not what we believe here. And I would imagine that our numbers are pretty good, that most of you would say, no, no, I don't agree with that at all. Uh, You've almost certainly heard that in order for a person to be saved, he or she has to realize the lost condition that is the case for all people. Why would we say that? That in order to be saved, you have to realize how lost you are. In fact, isn't that the case that, that that's one of the reasons that people become so angry with Christians? That we say that without Jesus, you're lost. Especially when they look at us and see that we don't react to frustrations or difficulties or temptations much differently than they do. And yet here we are saying, if you don't believe, you won't go to heaven. And of course, they, they then accuse us of self-righteousness and better than thou. holy. Who do you think you are? Look... How tragic for us to send mixed messages. It, the only thing worse than, than, than being just as sinful as everybody else when you're trying to share the gospel is to try to project this image of being holier than everybody else. We're not. We recognize the fact that all people are doomed without Jesus. Look, can I challenge you for the rest of this election season to live as though you belong to Jesus? I mean, the numbers are like, people are losing friends over this election. Seriously losing friends, good friends, over this election. It's not that you get to stop acting like a Christian after the election. It's just that it's a good reminder. This is a good time for us to respond properly as those who belong to Jesus. We didn't always belong to Jesus, though. According to Romans 5, and and affirmed everywhere else in Scripture, all of us are born into Adam's family. Now, Adam was created with original righteousness. You've heard the term original sin. Have you ever heard the term original righteousness? Adam and Eve did not have to sin. They had a choice. The rest of us don't get a choice. When Adam sinned, the, the, the sin is, is, is attributed to Adam. When he sinned, then we have no choice. We're going to sin. Our sinful behavior is the result of our sinful condition. It's genetic. We cannot help it. It's part of our DNA. We're sinners and we're going to sin. We cannot help but sinning. We can't help our sinful condition, our, our, our condition or our choices, our behavior. But we are responsible for our sin. 
In fact, you might say that we're responsible for our daddy's sin, just like children are often, often responsible for their parents' debt. You know about people that, <clears throat> whose parents are extremely wealthy. And then they die and you say, well, they must have come into quite an inheritance. Oh, all of that's gone and then some. The debts far outweigh the assets. And just like children inherit their parents' debt, we have inherited sin. And in the case of sin, we have debt on top of debt. Because not only did we get the nature, we choose to sin on a daily basis. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. By the way, who sinned first, Adam or Eve? I mean, both Genesis 3 and 1 Timothy 2 tell us it was Eve who was deceived and sinned. But Adam was present. And though he was not deceived, he failed not only to protect his wife as, as her head, as, as was his responsibility given to him from God, but he failed all of humanity when he sinned, both passively in being quiet as Eve had this conversation with Satan and then ate of the fruit, and then actively when he took the fruit and ate, of him, ate himself also, or ate of himself. Well, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> oh. Every Sunday. That's what's one of our actual our church growth models. What will he say next week? So, <laughs> you know, I heard someone say, and I've said this a couple of times here, but there's so many of you that are new. I, I thought you would be interested in this. Someone speculated, and there's probably pretty good speculation that Adam is standing there saying, "I wonder what's going to happen." You know, if 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 she dies because she eats, she disobeyed God. God will just give me another one, you know, so I'm just going to see what happens. Uh, that's a, look, it's speculation, but it's, what kind of thought processes were going on in Adam's head? God had given him the responsibility. Adam was the federal head of the human race, or he was the representative of all who would come after him. He was the patriarch it's like the president of a country is the federal head of that country. All the authority and power of a nation rest in that president's decisions. And all the responsibility of that nation also rests in what he does, what he decides, what he does. When Adam sinned, God's perfect creation was distorted. The entire creation. It's not just that sin was passed down from person to person, but Romans 8 says the entire creation groans. Look, if, if some meteorite hits us someday, it's because of the fall. All of the universe fell along with Adam. And it's not that God was caught off guard. Why did God allow it? Why did God allow it to happen? Well, if I knew the answer to that, I would be God. And since I'm not, probably not a good idea to angrily question why he allowed evil into the world. When people say, well, my God wouldn't allow that. It's exactly right. It's your God who wouldn't allow that. But the God who created the universe allowed it. And I don't know why. 
You know, when we'll know why? When we are in that restored creation, when Jesus has come and all right, wrongs are made right, we'll understand why God did it. It'll all make sense. We won't question any of it. For now, we're called to trust. And remember, as we've said over and over, trust more than anything. God wants us to trust Him. More than anything, trust Him. Well, actually, I did question God before I trusted Jesus and moved from Adam's family to Jesus' family. When people ask you, who do you think you are to say that I'm on my way to hell? And you might not have even said hell at all, but they're just like, who do you think you are? They're really asking, who does God think he is to tell me that I'm not good enough to stand in his presence? I mean, that's exactly what Satan was playing with with Adam and Eve. Saying, well, did, did God really say, well, look, he knows when you eat of this tree, you'll be like him. He might. You know, there may be a reason he's keeping you from this. Go ahead, eat. You can be like God. Cain. That was Cain's question from the very beginning. Who does God think he is not to accept my offering? We want to be good enough to be accepted by God. But look, our mission is doomed from the beginning. If that's what we're calling, we're trying to to be good enough, it's doomed. It's like being required to run a marathon when you've had an accident and you've become paralyzed. And before you start thinking, well, let's see, technology, look, it's impossible. It is impossible for us to be acceptable to God. Why? Because of our granddaddy's sin. Great, 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 great. You, You understand. And because of my sin. But I am condemned first because of Adam's sin. The federal head. The head of this entire family of the human race. Of all humanity. Sinned. And every descendant pays the price. One of Satan's great accomplishments in many centuries. In the West at least. Is to advance the notion of. I just want you to accept me as I am. Look, just as Satan's words in the Garden of Eden, a measure of truth is included in such a plea when asking others to to appreciate the diversity that God has, has, has woven into all of humanity. But there is deceit there as well. I mean, it could be when you say that, that if you, if you dug deep enough into the motives, it's like, hey, I'm good enough. And if you have half a brain, you'll see that. You'll just accept me. That's just who I am. I can't help it. It's just the way that I've been made. I don't want you to hold me accountable for my temper, for my wandering eye, for any other perceived lack of discipline. And even though we want to be accepted as we are, those same people that we want to accept us that way, well, we've got a little list for them, speaking of list. Here are a few things I'd like for you to work on if you don't mind. Because this would indicate, this would prove that you really do accept me as I am. Because I want to be God. In fact, over and over and over and over, that's what we end up. I want to be in complete control of everything. The problem with coming cold to a text like Romans 5, 12 to 21, and we're going to read it again at the end. And hopefully by the time all of this explanation has been given, it'll begin to make more sense. 
But the problem of coming cold to a text is it's part of a larger context that can't be fully appreciated unless you work your way through the earlier parts of the book of the Bible. We'll do an overview of that in home group this week. And then, you don't really know where this is going until you read on in Scripture. I said earlier that the responsibility and privilege of outreach is scattered throughout the New Testament and is usually in reference to gospel truth that is being taught the time. Now, I'm going to make a statement that you may or may not disagree with. In fact, you may say, wait a minute. And let me just challenge you. Do the study yourself. The New Testament spends far more time explaining the gospel to those who have already been saved than it does telling those who are saved to tell the gospel to other people. Having said that, there is no mistake that there has never been a greater mission given than the one that we have considered for these last two weeks. From Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, or to observe, or to treasure all that I have commanded you. So while outreach is not treated systematically in the New Testament, the truth of the gospel is, and without question, nobody does it. No book of the Bible does it quite like Romans. Man, it is just piece by piece by piece by piece. Again, a little bit of that outline and overview will be given in home group this way. As members of Adam's family, if we could see our sin through God's holy and righteous eyes, we would no longer argue about our worthiness to stand in His presence. If we saw God in His holiness and we saw our sin as holy eyes see sin, we wouldn't be saying, hey, 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 it's my right. You know, the rich man in, in Luke 16, Luke 16, I think it is, rich man and Lazarus, the rich, rich man lifts up his eyes in hell. He doesn't argue, hey, get me out of this place. He just says, can you, can you let Lazarus bring a little bit of water? Please go tell my brothers. It's too late for me, but please tell them. No arguing. Since all of us are born as sinners and we're incapable of doing anything about our sin, then something has to be done on our behalf. If there are, as our text indicates, two families of, of mankind, those with Adam as the head of the family and those with Jesus as the head of the family, we want to be found in Jesus' family. How does it help us to be in Jesus' family? Because, you know, Scripture says God helps those who help themselves. It doesn't say that. It, it absolutely, that's one of the great lies. The Bible does not say God helps those who help themselves. Now, there are certain principles in play that you, if you work hard, you're going to seek accomplishments. But ultimately, we can do nothing about our salvation. And our best hope is to, to lean heavily on Him. Remember, as the federal head of the family of all humanity, what burden is placed on us as members of Adam's family? His sin. Now, Jesus is the other federal head. It's, he's the head of the other family. So what gets attributed to us? Jesus' righteousness. 
All of his good works are attributed to us. His sinful, his, he took upon himself sin. He had no sin. But all of our sinful deeds, all of our sin that was part of our nature was put on him at Calvary. His perfect life and his perfect payment for sin was accepted by the Father as the penalty that we owe for sin. And then again, the key, Jesus' righteousness is counted as our righteousness. Remember, Adam was granted original righteousness. He blew it. Jesus came along, as 1 Corinthians 15 calls him, as the last Adam or the second Adam. And he got right what Adam messed up. And now, God considers as righteous those who have seen themselves as they are. They have acknowledged their sin and they've not tried to justify their sin in any way. And have cried out to God for mercy, casting all of their, their hope on Jesus. So as we prepare to come to this table, to the Lord's table, and participate in His supper, which binds us to Him and to one another, as we are reminded of His perfect life and perfect payment for sin, and die in the death that we deserve, we're going to read through our text one more time. Now, if you read this text alone and you read there are certain other places in Scripture, you might say, conclude, well, Adam messed it up for everybody and Jesus fixed it for everybody. It's the way that the arguments were made, but that's not at all what is being said. Remember, we have to read in context. And the book of Romans has made it crystal clear that all who die in their sin will be condemned. Whether they're generally good people or not, that's not the issue. And that's what people are so upset about when they say, how can you say I'm a sinner? I don't do this, I don't do that, I'm far better. Look, there's this deacon that used to be in the church, or this preacher, this, this person, that person, always pointing at somebody and saying, I'm better than that person. But all who die in their sin, sin that they inherited, sin that was on them before they ever made a choice to do right or wrong, and always we made choices to do wrong, will be condemned. So 40, 36% of the people say our good works have a little something to do. They have something to do with our salvation. No, if you, read, if you understand Romans 5, good works have nothing to do with salvation. Good works absolutely ought to follow salvation. We ought to be people who want to live and please the Lord Jesus Christ. But they have nothing to do with our salvation. Furthermore, when we get to verse 17, you'll notice how Paul says that those who receive... The abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, let's read this text one more time. And if, if you belong to Jesus, then rejoice that God has taken you out of this family and put you in to the other family. If you don't know Christ, cry out to the Lord for his goodness and mercy in your heart to save you. Ask for His mercy through Jesus.
Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world. Paul sort of loses himself and he goes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's starting to make a point and he's saying, well, let me, let me tell you even more about this point. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. And yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. This is sort of that ignorance of the law thing. You know, you, you hope for mercy when you don't know what the law is and you break the law. But most likely you don't get that mercy from an officer who's saying you were going 20 miles over the speed limit. I didn't know. Um, sorry, ignorance is not an issue. He's saying that when the law came, everybody knew what was right or wrong. That's one of the reasons the law was given. So that we can know very clearly none of us is able to keep it. But... Even so, because of sin, death reigned from Adam to Moses before the law was ever given. People knew in their hearts, Cain and Abel, they knew that there was something that God required of sacrifice and Cain refused. And he was held accountable. But the free gift is not like the trespass. One sin, everybody dies. One act of righteous, righteousness, many are made free. And forgiven of all their sins. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. (coughs) And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, As one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one, by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, to make us aware of how guilty we are. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Hallelujah. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I spend a lot of my time not wanting to address certain things and just hoping that they will Be all right. Look, it's wisdom sometimes to just don't say anything about this. Just let this go. Let that go. But there are a lot of times where you need to address situations and and the avoidance of conflict just makes it get much, much worse. There are probably a lot of times where we just hope people are all right spiritually. We hope they're okay with the Lord. Romans 5 says none of us 
Not one of us is okay unless the grace of Jesus Christ invades our lives and completely marks us for him and transfers us from the family of Adam to the family of Moses. We get the privilege of sharing that. But one thing we have to know as we go out, and that is the condition of, the, of, of all mankind is sinful and the consequences of those sin. So, not a pleasant message today as it so often is. It's part of the bigger picture. And as we come to this table, we are going to rejoice in what God has done for us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for what you have done for us in Christ. And that the free gift of righteousness is available to all who will repent of their sins and cry out to Jesus for mercy. Jesus, even as we come to this table where we are reminded that... Your body was broken and your blood was spilled as payment for our sins. Uh, we pray that our hearts would be thrilled even as we confess our own sins and we recognize that apart from you we have no hope. May we be thrilled with the, with the life that is ours in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray these things in the name of the one that we exalt this morning. Amen. Uh, as our elders and deacons and worship team come forward um, to help prepare for communion, let me just tell you how it's going to go, and then we'll set the table, fence the table, so to speak. Um, you'll be coming down these interior aisles. There'll be four stations. Elders, deacons will be... Uh, standing with the elements, with the, with the, with the bread and the juice. Uh, the bread is, is gluten-free, by the way, if you have those medical concerns. But I ask that you go to the station that is in front of you. This group will go to this station. And then if one station is done and the other is really long, you can move to the other. You'll come down the interior aisles, and then you'll go back in the middle or down the aisles. You can partake of the elements right there, or you can take them back to your seat. We invite, as we talked about last week, all baptized believers to join us at this table for uh, communion. Who is it for? It's for those who belong to the church. It's for those who belong to Jesus. It's those who proclaim Jesus and Jesus alone as Savior. Um, you can come forward and just not partake or you can stay where you're, you're seated that's okay. We want you to be honest about your relationship with the Lord. If you're saying, oh, there's just so much going on in my life. Look, this is a time to say, thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness that is in Christ. The sins that are pointed out, singled out in, in 1 Corinthians 11 have to do with abusing the body of Christ by making a mockery and getting drunk at the Lord's table and also by favoring some Christians over another because of their financial status. Those are probably not the sins we're dealing with right now. <clears throat> but whatever sin is in your heart will take just a moment. You can confess that to the Lord and come and eat freely. And be nourished at this table. In 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul said, In the following instructions, I do not commend you. 
Uh, actually, I meant to start a little long later in the text in verse 23. For I received from the Lord, that's where he's dealing with some of those sins. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Why would Jesus' body need to be broken, his blood need to be spilled if he's an example for us? There was a very specific purpose. He was pouring out his life in payment for our sins. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after saying, This cup is the new covenant In my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Hear these words from the Apostle Peter. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul wrote to you, according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. And all God's people said, 